Uh, what we want to do this morning as we, uh, we continue our series is this morning and next week, we want to look at a couple more of the responses we gave to the question, why do I struggle to share the hope that is in me? And we've, we've talked about things like uh, being fearful. Uh, we've talked about you know, not really knowing uh, enough information. So we've talked about several things. This week, we're going to, to kind of look at the notion of not knowing very many folks outside of the world of my own faith. So if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, I, I want to invite you to think back to whenever it was you became a believer. It may have been in the last few weeks, it may have been 40, 50, 60 years ago, but I want you to think about when you came to Christ, and I want you to think about it in terms of who told you about Jesus or who brought you to Jesus. So you, you might say, you know, a friend took me to church and, and I heard someone share the gospel and that's when I put my faith in Christ. Or uh, someone invited me to a Bible study and I went to a Bible study. Or a friend of mine uh, was a believer and they just kind of hung out with me and talked with me. But who was the person that led you to Christ? And what is your reaction to that person? My, my guess is, is if you're a disciple this morning, you're pretty happy that they cared enough about you to talk to you about Jesus. You're probably thankful that they actually invested in a friendship with you uh, to the extent that they would uh, you know, welcome you into their life and you'd be welcomed into their lives so that they could uh, be a witness for you to know Jesus. But somebody along the way invited you and brought you to Christ. And you're probably pretty happy about that. So when we talk about this topic this morning, not knowing very many believers, we have to think not necessarily of ourselves, but the people that need a friend who knows Jesus, right? That's what we want to try to get to. We're going to look this morning at Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 9 through 15. You can follow along in your Bible, or uh, you have, maybe you have a, a touchpad, or follow along on the screen. But we're going to look at this morning, this passage is kind of a foundation, and then we'll put some other passages together with it, and hopefully um, we'll get some good understanding of the call of Christ on our lives to engage in friendships with others. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. Hear the word of God. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have befriended us in Christ. Lord, we thank you that when you left your throne and you came to this earth, you did not come as one who was above everyone, but you came and you called yourself a servant. You said you had come to seek and to save the lost. You went preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, saying, repent and believe and trust and have new life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and extended grace to us. 
And you call us as your disciples to have that same attitude for the world in which we live. But Lord, we are tempted in our day and age to isolate ourselves from unbelievers, from those who think differently than us. Lord, sometimes it, it just happens. Sometimes we wake up and we go, wow, I, I just don't have many friends that don't know Jesus. But Lord, I pray that your word would, would sink deeply into our hearts because you have called us to be a witness for you. You have called us to engage in the world actively for the sake of the gospel. And it, it just literally seems impossible to do that without the context of friendship, without the attitude that you've displayed to us. So Lord, we pray that you would teach us from your word. What I have to say, my thoughts about this are not important. It is only your eternal word that stands forever. Lord, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to what you want us to know and to understand and apply to our lives. This morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sermon in a sentence this morning is short and to the point. Simply this. Disciples of Jesus don't know any strangers, only unmet friends. Now, I realize that there are some folks in here that are introverts, and your palms might be starting to get a little sweaty and a little bit nervous. So I'm going to allow you to take the S off of friends, if you like, and make it manageable, okay? <laughs> Disciples of Jesus don't know any stranger, only an unmet friend. So we don't want anybody to, to be overwhelmed by that, simply because God's given you a certain type of personality. And so we want to key in on what it means to represent Christ, and we're going to look at that through looking at the word witness. Then we want to think about what keeps us from perhaps building those friendships and reaching out and, and with kindness and compassion, and we're going to look at the word obstacle or obstacles. And then thirdly, we're going to say, well, is there another way? Is there a different pathway that we could follow? And the word we're going to choose for that is antidote. As I said, we're going to use Romans 10 as our springboard, but we'll look at a lot of different verses. So let's, let's dive into that word witness for just a minute. And let's be reminded that if we are disciples of Jesus, this is part of our calling. This is not everything that we are to be, but it's certainly part of who Jesus calls us to be as disciples. And we go to this passage and we see great clarity about Jesus. Paul's very clear about the gospel message. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no exception there. There's no extra clause. There's no small print. I went to buy some, some new glasses the other day because I had lost my prescription sunglasses and I had a, uh, I had a $40 uh, gift certificate off on the sunglasses and then the ones I picked out, they said, well, the $40 off doesn't apply to those glasses. And I said, it probably says it in the small print, but my eyes are so bad I couldn't see it. There's no small print here. There's nothing else but that. If you believe, if you confess, you will be saved. Anybody? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise that God makes to us through Scripture. Now, you can, you can decide not to believe the Bible, and that's okay. Nobody here is going to beat you up if you decide not to believe the Bible. We're not going to treat you differently if you decide not to believe in the Bible, but we want to make sure you know what the Bible claims. And the Bible is very clear about Jesus. He is the Savior, and he is the Lord. And if we call on him, we will be saved. But Jesus also gives clarity to us about our calling. If you go to Matthew 28, it says the following. Go to the next screen. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying to us this morning, we can trust in his authority. So what are we supposed to be? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So there's not only clarity about Jesus, but Jesus gives us clarity as to our mission. We are to go and actively make disciples. But not only that, but there's also within the New Testament, apostolic agreement. Now that sounds like a couple of big words. It simply means that the apostles, the the original uh, 12 who followed Jesus, two in particular we're going to look at this morning, agree that this is our calling. They, They agree to what Jesus has said. And this is one of our verses, right? But in your hearts, Peter says, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. So Peter affirms what his Lord has told him as he passes on that teaching to us. We're to be prepared. Paul does exactly the same thing in his letter to the Colossians. Towards the end of that letter, he says, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders. Now, he's not using that word outsiders to describe how we're supposed to treat people, right? Like, oh, you're an outsider and we don't want to have anything to do with you. But it's rather those who do not yet know Christ and are, and are looking into the kingdom and wondering about the kingdom, how are we supposed to act towards those people? What does wisdom look like? Making the best use of our time, letting our speech always be gracious, never hostile. Okay, now that never hostile is Tom's addition there, but always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. People are curious about questions of faith. They may not be uh, interested, you know, off the, off the start in Christianity, but they're, they have questions about the meaning of life and why they're here. And Paul says very clearly that our actions and our tone and our lives need to be a witness for Christ. I'm not going to put these uh, verses on the screen, but you can go back to the Old Testament and you can see the prophets of the Old Testament foretelling this truth about the Messiah who was to come. So in Isaiah chapter 53, which is typically a passage we look at uh, around Good Friday, the author writes, Isaiah says, speaking of the Messiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Okay, so there's the redemptive work. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the coming Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Okay, there is the work of Jesus on our behalf. That's why we call on the name of the Lord, because he paid the penalty for our sins. But the author goes on to say this in verse 10 of chapter 53, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What Isaiah is seeing there and what he's telling us is that not only will Jesus pay for our sins, even though he doesn't know the name Jesus yet, he's also speaking to the resurrection, that God will affirm the gift of Christ on the cross and his days will know no end. He literally will be raised back to life. And that is our witness. That is the message that we share. This is the person whom we represent while we're gathered together collectively and when we go out into the world. So if that's the case, I think it's fair to ask the question, why are so many in, in Western Christianity, I'll limit it to my experience, why are so many in our culture who call ourselves disciple of Jesus ill-prepared to speak and also detached from other believers? 
or from unbelievers? Why is it that we, we seem to have cocooned ourselves, so to speak, in a manner that, that makes it very difficult for us to even have friendships with those who don't yet know Christ? So that moves me from the word witness to the word obstacle. I think there are three reasons that we can look at pretty clearly this morning and see that uh, cause us pause or harm us in the opportunity to create friends and to share the gospel with those friends. The first is that we live in a, in a culture that is changing rapidly when it comes to our cultural norms. So Barna did a, a research project uh, in the last year, and he asked some questions about happiness and about fulfillment of life. And here are the top six answers he got about what people said was most important. To find yourself, you must look within yourself. Secondly, he found this. People should not criticize someone else's life choices. Third thing he discovered was that people said to be fulfilled, pursue the things that you most desire. The fourth observation that folks agreed with was enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. Fifthly, people said people can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. And the last thing folks agreed with was any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is fine. Now, if you look at those six collectively, and if you want that list, send me an email this week and I'll send it to you. But if if you look at that list collectively and you compare it to scripture, you can see that one for one, they do not line up. Scripture never calls us to look within ourselves. Scripture calls us to look to the Lord Jesus. Scripture doesn't call us to pursue happiness as our chief goal, but to, to, but to follow the will of the Lord and to rejoice and glorify him because of the grace he's given us. Our chief goal is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, not to experience personal happiness how we define it. You can go through that list one after one after one, and you can see that there's, there's a rift there between what Scripture teaches, what disciples believe, and our culture, and that just makes it hard. It just makes it difficult to engage in that conversation. And I believe that's one of the obstacles that are before us. Secondly, however, I think there's more than that. And this is where it gets a little bit into into our decisions and the way we go about living our lives and the choices we make. I think one of our obstacles is disingenuine relationships where we we are saying, I'm going to go out and share the gospel with people and I want to make sure they hear it, but we don't necessarily think about building relationships. We think about building friendships. And so we come across as people that have an agenda and we only have time for you if you're willing to listen to our agenda. And if you reject our agenda, then we don't care about you anymore. I want to read for you a quote uh, by a guy named Rich Dixon who wrote a book called Relentless Grace. And he's talking about physical disability uh, in this quote, but I think it's one for one with the Christian community when we engage with folks that aren't necessarily uh, believers yet. And he's talking about an experience he had with another person. He was speaking at a group, and, uh, and is, what I'm gonna read to you is about the conversation they had after that presentation. And a couple of those quotes are up on the screen. Dixon writes this, I just finished sharing my story with the group. I express my gratitude for the people who wove the story of relentless grace and my belief that God sent this small circle of folks who refused to let me quit on life. He'd become a, a paraplegic. This guy limped toward me, shook my hand, and thanked me for my willingness to be vulnerable. Don explained to me his own physical challenges and said he understood my reluctance to accept help. He related some uncomfortable incidents in which well-meaning people tried to help, but he felt like he was their quote-unquote project. 
Don described feeling like he represented a task to accomplish, an item on their checklist. We chuckled as he compared himself to a household job like a broken pipe that needed repair. He said that some people acted like they had to fix him so they can move on to the next entry in the to-do list. Does it always feel like that when others help? He shook his head. So what's the difference? What's missing when accepting help makes you feel like a project? I'm not sure, he replied. I just know that it feels like they've decided I'm broken and I need to be fixed. After a few minutes of discussion, I propose this summary. I wonder if that means that they care more about helping you than they care about you. I wonder if it's about the relationship. I think this points to, uh, even though it's, it's not about Christianity, I think it points to a real issue within the Christian community collectively and individually, and that is the arrogance that lives in our hearts. It's the spiritual smugness that creeps into our lives when we're so isolated that we really spend time just with people that look like us and talk like us, and it gets very easy to begin to look down on other people. And instead of seeing them as an opportunity to build a friendship for the sake of building a friendship, to, to, to give another person dignity of a relationship simply because that's the right thing to do with your fellow human beings. And we make uh, saving people a project as if it was within our power to do that. And I believe this, this is at the heart of, of the issue. When we can't see our way clear just to love people for the sake of loving people because that's what Jesus did. Jesus always relationally dealt with people right where they were in a way that allowed them to hear his claims for what they were. And I think at times we look at, at, at the notion of witness as a project instead of understanding that what scripture calls us to is to love people with, uh, with open hands and with joyful hearts. So changing cultural norms, uh, disingenuous relationships. One other obstacle, I think, though, also is, is what I'm going to call safe castles. You know, we love to be safe. We love, we love to be comfortable. We kind of love to, to, to know what's coming next and be able to, to kind of control our world as if, again, that were really, really uh, possible. Um, I, met, I think I mentioned this to you before. When Jordan, our youngest, uh, left the house after graduation, I said, Sydney, let's go on an adventure. Let's sell everything. Let's not tell anybody where we're going. Let's just go and a couple years just get out there and be on the open road. And, you know, who knows where we'll land and what we'll do. And that will just be so much fun. That'll be so cool. And she said, I tell you what, why don't you go on an adventure for two weeks and come back and tell me how it goes? <laughs> and, uh, and I ended up not even doing that, right? Because if I truly admit it, I like to be comfortable too. I like to be safe too. And, and this notion of building a castle and, and having this silo around us that protects us with like-minded people, with folks who are safe because they'll endorse whatever we say and they'll agree with our choices, whether they're biblical or not. Now, just to be fair to the Christian community, the world builds castles as well. It's not just believers who tend to flock to other believers. Barna did a, uh, a research project uh, a couple of years ago, and he asked this question in the project. 
Which groups do you think would be difficult for you to have a natural or normal conversation with? Okay. Which groups do you think would be difficult for you to have a natural or normal conversation? And he asked Muslims, he asked Mormons, he asked atheists, he asked evangelicals, and he asked members of the lesbian, gay, and bisexual community. So a wide ranging group of folks. And every group said the same thing. The other groups would be difficult. So Muslims don't really like to talk to Mormons as much as they like to talk to other Mormons. Mormons don't really care to talk to atheists that much as much as they would like to talk to other Mormons. Atheists prefer to stick with atheists and so on and so forth. And all of this study showed that the world builds castles. We don't necessarily reach out to each other. But the group that was the most difficult with which to speak was evangelicals. In fact, evangelicals said, 28% of evangelicals said that they didn't want to talk to other evangelicals, okay? (laughs) So I don't want to just kind of, you know, kind of, you know, dive on and, and add to the pain, but we have to acknowledge the fact that we may not be the easiest people in the world to talk to. Why is that? Could it be because we've so isolated ourselves and we've allowed comfort or fear of what could happen to be the the main motivating factors instead of love for Christ and love for our fellow man that allows us to reach out to, to everyone who comes across our path and offer friendship that the gospel calls us to. It's hard to break out of the safe first mold. But if we don't, the result is that we end up what we said this morning, uh, and what our reply was a few weeks ago in the text messages. Several of us said, we just simply don't know very many unbelievers, but I don't think it stops there. I think it ultimately leads to hearts that grow cold when it comes to the notion of, of being a witness. Because if you know you need to be a witness and all you do is surround yourself with Christians, eventually you can't take that tension anymore. And you have to do something with it. And if you don't confess that to your father, and if you don't take it to the cross, then you're left with the option of trying to fix it yourself. And all that means is that you're going to suppress it. It means you're going to find a way to excuse your behavior. It means you're going to find a way to avoid the topic. And you're going to find fault with everybody else except yourself. And our hearts grow cold. And we begin to see people as our enemies. Or maybe people we need to fix. Instead of people with whom we need to build friendships so that Jesus could introduce himself. Well, that's the obstacle. What about the antidote? Is there hope for us this morning? Is there an opportunity for us to see this in a different light? And I think there is. I want to go back to Romans 10 for a minute because I think Jesus invites us to go on a kingdom adventure. Uh, much different than what I was suggesting to Cindy. Uh, you don't have to leave home to go on this adventure. You can, you can do it right out, of your, right out of your back door. But Paul asks a series of questions. How will they call on him? whom they have not believed. How can, how can you believe something that when, when you don't believe it? How can you believe it if you've never heard? And how can you hear without somebody preaching? Now, I want to stop there for a second. You say, oh, look, Tom, that's your job. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Okay. Good job. Let's hear from the pastor. That's awesome. All right, we're out of here, right? That word there is proclamation, the person that makes the proclamation. It's not just the pastor. But what about those that ought to be sent into the world to proclaim the gospel? Well, that's every disciple of Jesus, right? And how will they preach unless they're motivated, unless they're sent, unless they understand that their calling is to share the gospel with others? We need to see this as the opportunity, as the adventure. We like safe and comfortable, right? But Jesus is neither of these. Jesus is neither safe 
nor comfortable. He is not interested in my safety. He is not interested in my comfort. He's interested in my heart, belonging to him and following him wherever he so leads me. He knows I'm safe. He knows he's gonna get me home. Even if somebody kills me, he's gonna bring me home. My eternity is secure in Christ and he invites me to follow him. In Luke's gospel, what does he say? Anybody who wants to follow me, pick up your cross every day. And come on, let's go on a journey. Because if you're gonna try to save your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you're going to save it. I believe the greatest understanding of moving past these obstacles is to understand that our Savior and Lord doesn't call us to comfort. He doesn't call us to safety. He calls us to witness and he calls us to trust him in that process. So we follow Jesus into authentic relationships with those who need his grace and his mercy, where we we become friends simply for the sake of being friends. Because if you're friends with somebody, if you have a, a, a deep friendship with somebody, you know, pals can talk about anything together, right? If you've got somebody who's truly a friend, whether you agree or disagree, You can talk with anything because the friendship is what holds it up. It's what supports it. You can even talk about faith with friends when you disagree. So um, Stephen mentioned, or Eric mentioned a while ago, we're going bowling this afternoon. If you haven't signed up, we still have a lot of openings in the uh, 4.30 to, wait, yeah, 4.30 to 6 o'clock time slot. Uh, Just show up and, and come and bowl with us. But uh, a few years ago when we started this, and we, and we started it because February is so dark and dreary and snowy and terrible, right? So just look outside and see how, so we're going to have a softball game this afternoon is what we ought to do. Um, when we first started this, I was standing uh, up by where they were, they were doing the shoes, you know, the shoes that like 800 other people have worn before you put them on and they spray something that I'm pretty sure is relatively toxic into those shoes of it. Um, so you can bowl this afternoon, I'm not going to, but... Um, <laughs> I was standing there, and, and one of, one of uh, uh, my friends came up, younger friends, who's known for really loving people well and just wanting to share Jesus with them and has a lot of great friendships. And, uh, and he said, hey, I brought some friends with me today. I said, really? Tell me about it. He says, well, they live down the street and da, 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 and just getting to know them. And, you know, I thought this would be safe. You know, bowling's kind of easy, and, you know, it's not church and everything. Okay. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Let me, let me get my shoes, and I'll come, over, I'll come over and meet him. And he goes, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you just weird him out. <laughs> I was trying to find a way not to be offended by that statement, and it was, it was kind of difficult. But, but he said, they don't need to meet the pastor yet, right? Well, that, that's a little too much for him right now. So just, you know, maybe, maybe you know, next year's bowling or, 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 you know, some other time, but just let me have Adam right now, right? Let's just, you just kind of back off a little bit. What was he doing? He was being a good friend for the sake of being a friend. He knew he could trust God with the result he wasn't sitting there going, oh, no, if they don't meet Tom, they might die without Jesus. He understood the providence of God and the power of God to bring salvation whenever and wherever he so chooses. And his job was simply to be the kind of person that would keep an unbeliever from saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I mean, think about it, our job's pretty simple. Just don't get in the way of the spirit of God by being arrogant, by being rude. By, by making people your project or by making people your enemies because they don't believe the same things that you believe. Honest, sometimes messy friendships built on humility and compassion, whether it's a next door neighbor or a friend at school, coworker, or maybe even that unreasonable boss. 
And dare I say, it could be friendships with liberals and conservatives, Trump bashers and Trump lovers, refugees and the elite alike, black and white, Hispanic and Asian, rich and poor, Uber riders and Uber drivers. Wherever our paths cross, we're called to be a witness for Christ by building genuine friendships with people. Have you noticed the the title slide of this sermon series? Have you looked at it carefully? Enemies don't sit like that with each other, right? Friends do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that Jesus came to make his enemies his friends. Those who had rebelled against him to become sons and daughters of the living God. Father, how dare we minimize that glorious grace to our own self-righteousness and building of silos and castles, insulating ourselves from people who don't know you because they don't have a friend that knows Jesus. Father, I thank you for my friend's wisdom a few years ago to... Uh, be a better friend and uh, even take a risk of, of insulting the pastor because it was the right thing to do. Father, thank you for the witness that was to me. Father, I pray that you would make Green Tree collectively and individually a place that just loves to build friendships, a place where we can be honest and vulnerable with one another, a place where we know it's going to be messy sometimes. It's not always going to go perfectly, but we love You, because you first loved us enough that we trust you when you call us to build relationships and to be a witness for you. Lord Jesus, we won't be able to do this on our power and on our strength. We don't even probably necessarily have the desire to do it apart from your Holy Spirit. So we pray that you would fill us with your word and your spirit for your glory, for the growth of your kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen.